keep praying this week, and uh, and our missionaries count on that, and they look forward to that. All right, good to have you here. I want you to turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, as we continue our study on rise up, living for the Lord is not in vain. And uh, I want to start out um, with this. I mean, look at the top of your notes there. And um, guess what? Jesus not only rose, but He is still risen. He is still risen. Because sometimes we celebrate... We celebrate Easter, and we get all excited, and then we move on, and we kind of get back to the routine, but He is still reason, and that makes all the difference in the world. Living for Him is never in vain, it's never fruitless, it's never meaningless, it's never useless. Why? Because He is risen. And one of the ways, one of the ways in 1 Corinthians 15, if you've turned there, one of the ways that Paul, or the Holy Spirit, caused Paul to emphasize that is... At least, I found six times in this in these short verses, from verses 1 to 20, at least six times, Paul uses the perfect tense to say Christ has risen. And we said a couple weeks ago, or last week, that the perfect tense means something happened in the past with ongoing results on into the present. Something happened back there. Christ rose in the past. But that means He's still risen right now. And six times in verse 4, verse 12, verse 13, verse 14, verse 17, verse 20, Paul uses, in contrast to the verbs all around, when he talks about Christ has risen, he rose and he's still risen today. And that should impact our lives. It means our lives are not in vain. Living for the Lord is not in vain. Now, because the devil could not prevent Christ from rising from the dead, and because he can't do anything about him still being risen from the dead, he does everything he can to try to deceive people into thinking it never happened. He, tr- he, he is working overtime 2,000 years later in trying to get people to be deceived into thinking that it never happened. And that's why we have verse 12. Think about it. The greatest chapter on the resurrection in the Bible, 1 Corinthians 15, is written because Christians were being deceived into thinking it hadn't happened. Now you say, them dummies, that wouldn't be me, but that could be us. In fact, when you think it couldn't be you, you're most likely to be you, okay? Because here were Christians that were being deceived. Because look at verse 12. Now, if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? That's the whole reason chapter 15 was written. And so we saw last week, don't be deceived into thinking that there is not a future bodily resurrection for all believers. And we saw there's three reasons why we might be deceived into thinking that. The devil distorts gospel doctrine, and the world mocks gospel doctrine, and the flesh rejects gospel doctrine. And what's so interesting is we saw last week, those three points were all made in First and Second Corinthians because they were being duped by the devil, 
They were being squeezed into the world's mold, and their own flesh, the natural man, rejects gospel doctrine. So we talked about that, and we said, look, if you get deceived into denying this stuff, it's devastating. The gospel dominoes begin to fall, and we saw that they were seven of those. Denying essential doctrines has devastating consequences like dominoes falling. And the key verse for that is verse 13. Look at verse 13. He says, look, why are you being deceived in this? Because look at verse 13. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, if you deny this, then seven dominoes fall. And we saw those last week and we see him in verses 13 through 19. So look at your Bibles and let's read through 13 through 19. And uh, we'll pick it up in verse 12 and let's read it together. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some of him, some among you say that there is no resurrection? So there's the denial due to deception. But he says, look, but if there's no resurrection from the dead, and here's the domino, seven begin to fall. The first is not even Christ has been raised. You can't deny the future without denying the past event of Christ's resurrection. And then it, and here it goes, verse 14. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain. Uh, we have a preaching, a preaching the, the resurrection is fruitless if it didn't happen. And also, your faith is in vain. Your faith and trust in that gospel is vain. And then 15, moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise, if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. Now, he repeats that one twice because that's the key one. Then he moves on, verse 17. He comes to uh, the uh, fifth, the fifth domino. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. Why? Because you are still in your sins. There's no forgiveness without the resurrection. And then six, then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Any loved ones who have accepted Christ and are dead, no hope of seeing them, no hope of reuniting, no hope of celebrating with them in the future after the resurrection. And then finally, the seventh, and if we have, if we have hoped in Christ in this life only, if the only hope of being with Christ is what we have right now, well then, we are of all men to be most pitied. Well, that's where we were last week. But wait, Christ not only rose, but he's still risen. What if the resurrection actually did take place and, and you refuse not to be deceived and you refuse not to ever deny this and you will never reject this? And we affirm this gospel. What difference does it make? Well, look at verse 20. I love how he's, he's gone through all the dominoes. And then he comes to verse 20 and he says this, But now Christ has been raised. And there's one of those perfect tenses. It happened in the past and he's still risen now. He has been raised. The first fruits of those who are asleep. But concentrate on the first part of that verse. Christ has and is still risen. What does that mean? Well, here's what we want to look at this morning. Affirming the doctrine of the bodily resurrection frees us to declare the gospel 
with joyful confidence. Listen, if this is what you affirm, if this is what you really believe that we celebrated a couple weeks ago, then we should be declaring the gospel with joyful confidence. And just to show you that, turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 24. Turn to Luke chapter 24, and I don't want to go into this in deep, but I just want, you know, I just thought about this. What happens when people really believe the resurrection? Here's what happens. They change direction and they start telling people about it. They change direction and they start telling people about it. And you could do a whole study of Luke 24 of what happens when people affirm the resurrection. What happens is they change their thinking, they change their direction, they change their priorities, and their tongues let loose and they start sharing the good news. And the first people that we see doing this is in verses 1 through 10. The women who were the first to find the empty tomb, the women who were first to hear the news, he is not dead, he is risen, why do you look for the the living among the dead? And here's what happens in verse 8. And they remembered his words, and they returned from the tomb, and reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now they were Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of Jesus, also the other women with them, telling these things to the apostles. But these words appeared to them as nonsense, and they would not believe them. Remember how we talked about there's three responses to declaring the resurrection. There is mocking, there is continued interest, you know, suspicion, but hey, I'll listen to you, and there is belief. And sadly, here are the disciples responding like the world would respond with with disbelief and dis, all those crazy women. They don't know what they're talking about and, and they don't believe them. But what we want to see is these women were headed to, uh, to anoint a body. They were headed to a cemetery. And as soon as they heard about the resurrection, they got out of that cemetery and they went among we, they went among others, and they told the good news. Well, don't stop there. There's two disciples on the road to Emmaus. They're leaving Jerusalem, and they're disappointed. They're discouraged because they thought that Jesus was going to be the Messiah. They thought he was going to be the Messiah, but the bad news is he was crucified. And the worst news was three days later, later, he said he was going to rise, but no one's seen him. And so they're going away. They're going home uh, dejected, and, uh, and, and discouraged, but look at verse 30. And when he had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and he blessed it and breaking it, he began giving it to them. Then their eyes were open and they recognized him, that is Jesus, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? And they got up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem. Changed their direction, changed their life, changed their attitudes, and they, and they found gathered together the eleven and those who were with them, saying, The Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. And they began to relate their experiences on the road and how they recognized him by the breaking of bread. See, you just can't help. You want to declare with joyful confidence. And it doesn't end there. Jesus appears at the end of Luke 24. Jesus appears at, in verse 36. Look at verse 36. So right after these guys got back, 
While they were telling these things, he himself stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be to you. And they were startled and frightened, and they thought they were seeing a spirit. See, their first reaction is, there's not bodily resurrection. That's their first reaction. This is a ghost. This is a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? Why do, you, why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Jesus is God, and yet Jesus is a flesh and blood human being who rose from the dead. That's amazing. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and feet. Why would he show his hands and feet? Because there are the nail scars still in his body. Though he has a glorified body, praise God, the evidence of Christ's sacrifice for our sins is always visible and present in his human body. There are holes here in his wrist here, in his wrist here, and the nails are still there. And we know from other scripture uh, that he still has a gash in his side from, uh, from the piercing of the sword. Now, notice what he does. Um, and when he said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still could not believe it because of their joy and amazement, he said to them, have you have anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and he ate it before him. He's just proven it to him, look, I've got a body and it's risen and it's my body and it's glorified and it, it, it can pass. I don't understand all this. It can pass through walls and doors and it can beam up and beam down and everything, but it's physical and it's real. And that's just a pretty amazing thing. And now he said to them, now here's what I want you to see. These are my words which I spoken to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds. Remember, natural minds can't understand this. He opened their minds to understand the scripture. And he said to them, thus is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead on the third day. And we always, a lot of times we stop there, but look at verse 47. And that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses from this, these things. Here's what I want you to get from that verse. Evangelism is a natural result of affirming the resurrection. It's all a part of what, in fact, we should be proclaiming in the gospel, Christ rose, or he died, he was buried, he rose, and now we preach this to all the world. I think, you know, sometimes we, I mean, that's a pretty radical thing right there. Because we tend to think, okay, we just share the gospel, and once, you know, once we shared it, we're done. Once they accept it, they're done, and then we sit and sour and soak. And what we should be saying is, look, here's good news, here's what happened, and we're supposed to be telling everybody, and I'm telling you. And if you accept this, guess what? You need to be telling everybody. I think we've kind of diminished that. Shake your head like you, you know. Okay? Listen, evangelism, listen, evangelism rise and falls based on the reality of the resurrection. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then we have no good news. We're worshiping a dead man whose body has long since decomposed, and we have nothing of hope to offer after death, we have nothing. But if the resurrection is true, then every Christian should be compelled to be sharing the good news freely and with great joy. Everything hinges on it. So here's what I want to do. 
I want to take those seven dominoes that fall if we deny, and I want to see them as resurrection realities this morning. And I want you to see that every one of those resurrection realities gives you something to be motivated about, gives you something to refocus your evangelism, to re-energize your evangelism. All right? So take these positive things, and I want to move you and it will have to be the Holy Spirit to do it through what we study, move you to greater motivation, greater energy, and overcome any apathy that's in this room about sharing the gospel. Amen? Okay, so let's take a look at it. Number one, seven resurrection realities that refocus, re-energize, and should release evangelistic joy. Number one, Jesus is risen. Let's say that together. Jesus is risen. Now, right, there's some enthusiasm here. Jesus is risen. Listen, the gospel, and we're not going to go through these in order. I've kind of put them in an order of how we experience them and an order of priority. And listen, here's why we ought to be motivated to share the gospel. The gospel we share is centered on the risen God-man who is the Lord of the living. Because Jesus is risen, we should be energized to share the gospel. Now, from verse 13, instead of saying that Christ is not risen, we can positively say that Christ is risen. Or we can say it more personally. And this is how we ought to say it when we're evangelizing. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, there's someone you can trust absolutely. There's someone... You can, that's a great message to share with the lost. That's a great message to share with anyone. There is someone you can trust absolutely. Why do I say that? Because deep in the heart of every human being is a longing for someone that they can count on. Who do you not know that hasn't been disappointed in relationships? Who do you not know that hasn't been hurt by family? Who do you know that hasn't been betrayed or rejected, or even, you know, or, or have you ever heard someone say this, you know, I, 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 my parents, you know, I had good parents, but, but I'm still looking for something, or, or I, have a, I have a great marriage, and I don't know why, why it is, but I'm still looking for something. You're looking for that someone who is the risen Lord, and we have good news. He's risen, he's alive, and you can have a relationship with him. I don't know about you, but that's really cool. Hey, for 17 years, I had a good family, I had a good church, I had a, a, a good life, but inside, I was missing something. But in reality, I didn't know I was missing someone. And I wanted someone who really know, knew me, who understood me. And it seemed like no one around me understood me. And you're thinking, well, I, I get that. I can see why you had that problem, Chris, now that I know you. No, no. I'm saying I want someone to really know who I am. That's what everybody wants. Jesus is risen. He is that person. He is that person who can be everywhere at all times and understand every person from every culture, from every situation. Hey, don't buy into this postmodern idea that I can't talk to you unless I've experienced what you've experienced. Well, okay, I'd freely admit, I haven't experienced what you've experienced, but I know someone who has. I know someone who understands. Therefore, listen, in our witnessing, our focus ought to be more on Him and less on us and even less on the lost people we're talking to. Are you with me? 
This is why you get de-energized. This is why, one reason why, you may be apathetic. Because you're focusing on you. And you're focusing on them. And you're not focusing on the one who is risen. It's like, I don't care what you think of me. I don't care if I totally understand you. I don't care if I get the message totally right. I just know him and I want you to know him. Now, that kind of witness is irresistible. It really is. You say, but what if they have questions? Well, we'll we'll talk about the questions. We'll talk to him about the questions. We'll go find his book and, and, and find questions from his book. But get focused on him. And listen, I am big on training for evangelism. People poo-poo that. You know, I don't want to memorize anything. Well, guess what? Everybody I've seen that doesn't like training don't evangel doesn't evangelize either. You know, the people that evangelize have all been trained. People that don't evangelize and don't like training, that's why they don't evangelize. But when you get training, you get some confidence. But listen, even with training, the focus isn't on saying it just right. The focus isn't getting it all right. The focus should be on Him. He's risen. And if He's risen, He'll help me witness, right? And if he's, if he's risen, he'll show me what to say, but I've got to open my mouth and talk. Wow, that's good, Chris. Keep going. I will keep going because it's so good. Number two, here's the second resurrection reality. We are forgiven. Let's say that together. We are forgiven. Yeah, that's awesome. Christ is risen. Listen, if Christ isn't risen, according to verse 17, you and I are still in our sins. But He is risen. So that means we're forgiven. All our sins are forgiven. Now, why do I put this second? Because this isn't the order of the dominoes. I put this second because the greatest motivation for sharing the gospel, second only to our love for the risen Lord, which is number one, is that we are forgiven. And because I'm forgiven... And as bad as I am, I know you can be forgiven. Because if God can save me and the Apostle Paul, he can save anyone. And because he can save anyone, I've got a message of hope that I'm motivated to share with you. Does that just make sense? I'm forgiven and I want people to know. Um, you know, yesterday we, we were at, uh, uh, through Amber's Volleyball, I have, my circle of lost people is, is, is significant. And it's really... You, you can know about dysfunction and the destruction of sin, but when you become relational with people who are suffering that dysfunction, it's just, it's just heartbreaking. Man, our, our culture, our families are just, it's a mess. It's just a mess out there. But we got, I got one guy who, uh, uh, oh, I don't even know how to explain him. He's, he's like, a, uh, I don't know how to explain. Anyway, he, he, he likes his beverages. He likes to drink, and he's an older guy. And uh, he, he, we just have a go back and forth. I, you know, I don't think he believes or anything. But anyway, we go to these tournaments, and uh, he's like, he's, he's, within five minutes, he's introduced me as, oh, this guy's a preacher. This, you know, which I, you know, I told him yesterday, I said, Michael, I've been introduced to more people that I don't know as a preacher through you than anyone. But we just talk and banter in front of all the whole team and all these parents. And 
along the way, you will have opportunity because he thinks he, you know, there, he's always talking about coming to church. But I know if I come to church, Chris is going to, you know, he'll, he'll talk about me from the pulpit and all this thing. And I don't even, uh, I don't even tell him I don't preach every Sunday. I just let him think that. And so we go on, we talk about it anyway, but they, they always, they've been trying to come when I, when I do preach. But I, I guess here's my point. In the midst of all that, I had the opportunity to say to him, well, you know, Michael, the bottom line is we're all sinners. Because, see, they just don't think that way. See, he always wanted to introduce me as a preacher. Well, I, you don't, you're not getting it, Michael. You're no better. You're no worse. I mean, we're all in the same boat. In God, and I had the opportunity to say that, hey, you know what? We can all be forgiven. That's a great message. That is a great message. And I'll say more about this in a moment. But uh, how, how, how is the resurrection connected to our forgiveness? If he doesn't rise, we're not forgiven. That's the bottom line. Now listen, how does this promise refocus our evangelism? Well, we ought to share good news with joy and gratitude. Remember the ten lepers and they all get healed, but who's the one that comes back and says thank you? The one that really appreciates what the Lord did for him. Listen, there ought to just flow out of us a joy. And, I, and I've been saved long enough that I forget about how messed up I was when God forgave me. And because I know He's forgiven my sins, I'll be honest with you, I don't think about Him a lot. And I think there's a problem with that. Because I forget how much He's forgiven me. I forget how much. I think it might be good for us to be like the Apostle Paul and remember our sins and how it was before we were saved. And just think of how much He's forgiven us. And I think then you're motivated. To whom, to whom is forgiven much, they what? They love much. That's what the Bible says. To whom is forgiven much, they love much. If you forget how much you've been forgiven, you will love the Lord less and you will be less motivated to share the gospel. Okay? We are forgiven. Listen, if He can forgive me... He can forgive you. And that's a great message for lost people to hear. Because I'm telling you, they put us on a pedestal. They put us in another subgroup. You know, you, that worked for you, but not for me. And they need to hear from us. Look, if he did it for me, he can do it for you. If he did it for me, he can do it for you. Number three, we have good news to share. That's a resurrection reality. Let's say that together. We have good news to share. And that's because our preaching is not in vain. The gospel we share is to be proclaimed. You know, sometimes we just forget. Good news is meant to share. Nobody hesitates. You know, when the Royals won the American League Championship, we're all on Facebook, we're all just buying shirts, and we're all all excited, and we're all talking about it. Why? Because it's good news. doesn't come off very often. May not come for a long time, so you got to share it, right? Well, hey, it's good news. He's risen. Listen, because of the resurrection, dead people get raised to life with words. Dead people get raised to life with words. The gospel resurrects people, but it has to be shared. I think of Jesus standing before the the tomb of Lazarus, who's been dead and who now has been dead long enough that he stinketh, according to the King James. There's some things you can't lose from the King James. He stinketh. And what does Jesus do? Lazarus, come forth. And boom, 
Life is ignited. Well, listen, we can't do it as automatically as that, but when we share the gospel of the death, burial, and resurrection, and we share that, and the Spirit uses that, and God calls them through that, life, dead people come to life. We have a message. You know what's interesting in this passage? Just look at 1 Corinthians 15 again. If you look at this passage, preaching, witnessing, sharing is all over this passage. Look at verse 12. He goes back to to, to, uh, 15, verse 12. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised, he's saying, look, no one, people don't know, people don't hear this, and the message doesn't change lives unless we preach it. You say, I'm not a preacher. Okay, witness about it. What have you seen and heard about Jesus? One of the reasons we're not sharing more is because we're not seeing him do anything in our own lives. You realize the place to start witnessing is last week, God did this for me. That's witnessing. That's witnessing. Are you with me? When's the last time you just said, hey, last week God did this for me to a lost person? Hey, you know what? I've been praying about this for six months and God answered it this week. Share that with a lost person. You're like, I thought I had to go through this gospel track or gospel out. No, witness, share what God is doing. Look at verse 14. He mentions preaching in verse 14. In verse 15, he talks about witnessing. In verses 1 and 2, he says, Now I make known to you, that's preaching, the gospel which I preach to you, which you also received, in which you also stand, by which you are saved, if you hold fast to the word which I preach to you. I think he's trying to get us to know something. People don't hear about the resurrection unless we preach it. We have good news to share. Amen? That ought to motivate us. This is good news. I'm not inviting you to follow the teachings of a dead man. No matter how good you may perceive him to be, no matter how wise you may think he is, but Buddha has decomposed. Muhammad has decomposed. Worms are eating their bodies. I invite you to worship the man who rose from the dead and he's alive today. Now, fourth resurrection reality is this. The good news is absolutely true. The good news is absolutely true. That should motivate us to share it. So let's say that together. The good news is absolutely true. The gospel we share is true. So we can be true witnesses of what God has done, what He is doing, and what He is yet to do. Look again at verse 15. Instead of the apostles being false witnesses about the work of God, we can say positively that because of the resurrection, the apostles preach what is true. They're not false witnesses about God. They're true in what they preach is absolutely true. Now, why is that so radical? Because we live in a culture that denies absolute truth. We live in our culture. Listen, our young people are being taught, and you, many of you, have already been taught by an education system that what's true for you is true for you, and what's true for me is true for me, and you shouldn't tell me anything that I don't want to hear, and it's you know it's all relative, and if everybody keep their opinions to themselves, or if we'd all share them but not expect anybody to act on them, then we could all get along. But listen to me. There are truths that are true all the time, 
in any culture, in any place, and the fact that Christ is risen is one of them. And because He's risen, He has the right to tell us what is true and what is wrong. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And let me prove that I am the way, the truth, and the life. I rose from the dead. I am the resurrection and the life. Therefore, what I say goes. Now, it's rare for a teenager today who has the guts and the independence to say, for example, in a high school health class, that premarital sex is wrong. Wrong for everybody, not just those who think it's wrong. Or to say that homosexual activity is wrong. Wrong for everybody, not just those who think it's wrong. Or that life begins at conception and abortion is a choice to murder a human being with the right to life. Or that we didn't evolve from monkeys, but were made directly by God in His image. Listen, without conviction that they're absolutes, we don't stand up and say that. Our kids don't stand up and say that. And if you're thinking that just by bringing them to a gospel Bible-believing church, that they're thinking about absolutes, they're not. They're saturated by our culture. They're saturated by our society. And the answer isn't just going to a Christian environment. Because listen, you don't have convictions until you have to stand up against others and say them. So I'm not saying one is right or wrong. I'm just saying everybody has, has some work to do in this room. Are you seeing me? So if, if, if you've got a kid that's really high on understanding these truths, but they're not in an environment where they ever have to stand up for them, you need to get them in that environment so they can stand up for them. But if you have one that's saturated by all these relativity, then you've got to work on making sure that they understand that there's absolutes. There's nothing like having to stand and say what you believe. Uh, instead of assuming that, get your kids to verbalize their convictions. Because if they can't verbalize them to us in this safe environment, they're not going to do it out there, right? And what I'm always challenging my daughter to do is I want to see Jesus on your, in your text. Why am I not seeing Jesus in your text? I need to see Jesus in your text. You ought to want to talk about this. Are, are, are you with me? This is absolutely true. Let's share this. Listen. There's a need for truth deep inside of people. They want to know that there's something they can, they can put on. Here's the good news. When we share the gospel, we're not used car salesmen. We're not the traveling quack that's selling false remedies. We know the real disease. We know the real cure. And we know it works. Amen? It's absolutely true. And that brings us to number five. We know it's true. Because it also works. Lives can be radically changed. That's number five. Lives, this is a resurrection reality. Lives can be radically changed. Let's say that together. Lives can be radically changed. The gospel we share has the power to give birth to a living faith that bears fruit. Listen, the gospel is not only true, but the gospel works. It works practically and it works radically. That's why verse 14 says, your faith is not in vain. Your life's been changed. This works. And that ought to give us confidence to share. And you say, look, I share, but I'm not seeing a lot of lives changed. But your life was changed. So you know it works. It does work. 
Will it work every time? No. What are the three responses? What are the three? Outright rejection. I'll listen, you know, the mocking, the rejection, the scorn, the ridicule. But there's also, hey, I'm not ready to accept, but I'll talk to you more. And then there's people that will believe. The thing is, you gotta, uh, you got to share more to see more fruit. But this message will change lives. Ephesians 2 is a classic passage. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. And you were dead in your trespasses and sin. Dead, dead, separated from God, separated from life, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. You were controlled by Satan. And of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience, you ha- you were so separated from God, you were under the devil's authority, and you were driven by lust. That's the way I was. That's the way you were. Among among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our fe- flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, but God, being rich in mercy. Because of His great love with which He loved us who were unloving, unwilling, undesiring. Even when we were dead, He emphasizes that, dead in our transgressions. Made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the ages to come, there in the future, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Do you realize in that verse I just read, he told us what God did. He he raised Christ. He's telling us what he's doing. He's raising people and and spiritually connecting them with Christ. And he told us what God's going to do in the future. He's going to spend all the rest of eternity just showing how rich his grace is towards us in Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are His workmanship. The gospel gives birth to, to dead people. And it really works. And it radically changes us. Listen, share the good news. Evangelism's not vain. It's not meaningless. It's not unproductive. It's not fruitless. Why? Because Jesus rose, he's seated at the right hand, and he grants life to Just like he calls people by name. He called everyone here who is born again, he called you by name from the right hand of the Father. He said, Randy, come forth. Colby, come forth. Shelly, come forth. He called us, and we spiritually rose from the dead. And you passed from darkness to life. Do you remember that day? You may not remember the date, but do you remember the moment when you crossed from death into life? Were you joyful? Was there peace? Did you want to tell someone? Did you want to share it? That's what we should still be doing. Number six, there's a sixth resurrection. There's hope beyond the grave. There's hope beyond the grave. Okay, let's, we've done it six times. Let's do it again. Let's say that together. There's hope beyond the grave. Okay, let's really say it. There's hope beyond the grave. Why? The gospel we share provides real hope beyond the grave for all who have already died in Christ. Now, this is a great motivation. 
Because let me in, here's a news flash. Everybody's dying. Okay? And I realize the younger you are, the less you think about it. But the reality is young people die too. Bruce's former neighbor, 21-year-old, cancer, gone within a year. Within a year. It happens. It could happen to our kids. It can happen to anyone. But the reality is, and and really, I think we've kind of, in our day and age, we're so busy and we do all these things so impersonally through technology. You know, hospital visiting is kind of on the outs, I think. You know, not a lot of, you know, but what an opportunity to share the gospel. Because you, you can visit anyone who's dying and with confidence say, I know what can happen after death. I know what God can do for you. Because I know the one who's been where you're going. And he can take you through this. We, we have all motivation to share the gospel. And here's the good news. If you know someone who's lost a loved one, you can share that there is hope for the gospel, especially if they're saved. And that's the first question. If someone tells me a loved one dies, my first question is, did they know Christ? Because if they know Christ, then I have all sorts of hope to share. If they don't know Christ, there's no hope for them. Their destiny is set, but I can share with you how you can have a different destiny. There's hope beyond the grave. And I think, well, and we'll see in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 55, we'll talk more about how death has been conquered. But we have confidence. Let me give you the last one, number seven. Our best life is yet to come. Now, I know that won't sell a lot of books, but it's true. So let's say that one together. Number seven, our best life is yet to come. All right, now listen. Our best life yet to come. We live the most desirable lives in the entire universe. Now, kind of turn to your neighbor and just say that to them. You live the most desirable life in the entire universe. Now, why is that? Because the bet you say, but you don't know what I'm going through this morning. You don't know what this past year is like, and let me tell you, the future is looking even bleaker. It doesn't matter. You could have cancer, and you could have two weeks to to live today and be in this room, and if you're a believer, you're living the most desirable life because the best is yet to come. See, it doesn't matter what happens to us in our witnessing. The best, there's nothing. This is why you couldn't stop Paul. You couldn't do anything to Paul that didn't further the gospel. Okay, you're free, so we're going to put you in prison. So what's he in prison? Oh, I have time to write. Do you realize we have the Bible because he was put in prison? And what does he say? He says, though I am, he says in, Timothy, in his last letter to Timothy, he says, look, though I am chained, the word of God is not chained as he writes. The word. Okay, so we try to put him in prison. Okay, so he's in prison, that's not working, so let's Let's, let's, let's threaten to kill him. Let's put him before Caesar. And what does he say? To live is Christ, to die is gain. Thank you. Please kill me. Go ahead. Now, I don't want to be killed because I know to stay is going to further the gospel. But let me tell you, if you kill me, all you're doing is sending me where I've always wanted to go. My best life is yet to come. So when you begin and when I begin, and believe me, I am thinking more about this than ever as we live in a state when people are being beheaded for Christ. Would you kneel and be a joyful witness on the shores of Tripoli 
as a man is going to saw, and you know, we think of beheading like a guillotine quick. And no, this is sawing. This is just rubbing back and forth as your blood spills into the ocean like those 21 witnesses for Christ. And they said, this is a privilege and we want to, we are witnesses to our village. And I'm telling you what, God, give me the grace to do that. God, give me the grace to live what I'm preaching right now, that my best go ahead, it'll be painful. You know, dying's one thing. It's, It's the process that I'm fearful of. Are you with me? You know, I could, you know, put me to the gun right now and shoot me, but threaten me with prison, I'm, I'm a little freaked, okay? Or a slow, torturous death. But God will give us grace. But here's the thing. Anything they do to me, if I lose my job for witnessing, I've got a God who owns a cattle for a thousand hills. If you hurt me, I've got a God that can heal me. If you take my life, I've got a God who can restore it. If you take the lives of my family, my daughter, my wife, they know him and they will rise again. Listen, our best life is yet to come. And if we really believe that, we want more people to join us with that. Now, last week I talked about last week I talked about uh get a track pick up a track, and then share it with someone this week. And I had every intention to do that. And at the beginning of the week, I prayed about it. I looked for opportunities. And at the beginning of the week, I was surrounded by Christians all the time. So I was kind of bummed, kind of bummed out about that. And and, and, and so I'm still praying about it. Okay, I'm just going to keep looking. I, I emailed my grow group. I said, hey, keep looking for opportunities. Keep praying. I'm still praying for opportunities. Then the end of the week comes, and the end of the week comes, right? And you get slapped. And yesterday, I spent all day with unsaved people. And I came home last night, and I'm like, ah, I just missed my opportunity. You know, when old Michael was giving me the razzmatazz about being a preacher and everything, I've got the relationship with him. I had the opportunity. And I think you're like me. We just get apathetic, and I, and I wasn't being apathetic. I just got, I got distracted. It just wasn't priority, like the beginning of the week. If I had entered into the end of the week like I did the beginning of the week, I would have had the track. I would have handed that out. I would have given it to someone. Because I just want to start getting it out. Because when I've done this, good things has happened. What about you? How did this week go? How will this next week go? Get the word out. And the reason I do a track because it's just, it, it, it's the easiest place. You know, I mean, it's the easiest. You do whatever you want to do. Walk up and down with a sandwich. I don't care what you do. He's risen. Amen. Don't be apathetic about declaring the gospel because sharing the gospel, turning conversations to Christ, handing out a track, it's not in vain. He is risen. Amen. So let's, let's be intentional. So my goal this week is to be as intentional at the end of the week as I was at the beginning of the week. And I'm recommitting. I'm re-energized. What about you? Let's declare the good news. Amen? You have seven motivating reasons. Pray over these. Think about and And try to relate them. Who do I know that's unsaved that needs one of these seven things that I can share with? So we have a job to do. Let's joyfully, confidently, let's go and do it. Let's pray. Father, we come, and I thank you for this message. I, 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 I'm energized by it, and I've enjoyed thinking through it. I enjoyed praying through it, 
And Lord, I'm going to enjoy applying it. And so, Lord, we ask you to forgive us. It's easy the longer you're saved to be apathetic. It's easy the more we're distracted by the things of this world. And yet, Lord, you're, you're moving in lives. You're getting attention. You're taking away jobs. You're, 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 you, you, do, you allow things with our health, like you did with Job, to remind us that the best life is yet to come. And so, Father, I pray that your Spirit is energizing people right now and that we won't be silent this week, but we'll declare what we celebrated two weeks ago, that you, you rose and you're still risen and you're coming again. I pray your blessings on our witness this week. In Jesus' name, amen.